Hey, how are you? I'm really glad you're here to listen to this edition of Faith to Live By. I'm your host, Pam Christian. The first time this particular program will air is November 4th, 2020, day after the most contentious presidential election since our nation's founding. Since I pre-record my podcasts, I'm unable to speak to what our nation will wake up to on this historic day. I have, however, worked to stay up to date on the candidates, current events, legal investigations, and more. The likelihood that the civil unrest in America will be a thing of the past is not something I'm optimistic about on this particular November 4th. However, I am exceptionally optimistic we will see civil unity once again in the near future. This is the last program on the topic of advancing God's kingdom, this time from the perspective of being united in God's values and standards and becoming an effective force in America to bring about civil unity. I encourage you to listen to the program clear through to the end to learn how you can participate in my special Christmas giveaways to be awarded December 23rd. From November 4th through December 16th, you can enter to win. There will be two lucky winners of my newly revised third edition of my book, Examine Your Faith, Finding Truth in a World of Lies, and five lucky winners of the New Abide Bible by Thomas Nelson. This is a special promotion you won't want to miss out on. Listen for ways you can be counted among those who might be one of the lucky winners. Now, back to today's topic. God wants us to be united in truth and purpose, standing against all philosophies and ideals that are contrary to the Word of God, which of course is the Bible. However, many people today don't believe the Bible is a holy document, supreme in every way to all other documents of religious authority. Many don't believe the instructions from the Bible are relevant for today. And the most sad reality is the numbers of professing Christians who do not have a proper reverence or understanding of the Bible. This sad reality was part of what inspired me to write the first book in my Faith to Live By series. That book, again, is Examine Your Faith, Finding Truth in a World of Lies. I'm pleased to say it has received multiple awards and is now released in its updated third edition form. It has excellent reviews and is endorsed by Josh McDowell, among others who are known for their work in apologetics. Apologetics is a term that simply means to defend the faith to be able to give sound reasons why the Christian faith is the most logical and compelling faith of all. The stated purpose for writing that book was and is to help people discover and live in life-giving truth. No one wants to live their life on the basis of lies. Yet, I assert, unless we examine what we believe and why, we can easily be deceived and entirely unaware of our condition. It is, after all, the very nature of deception that the victim is unaware. With this book, I explore the claim that truth is relative versus absolute truth. I explore the claim that all roads lead to the same God in heaven, which is known as religious pluralism. I devote a chapter to each of the five major world religions and New Age to explain the origin of Hinduism, Judaism, Buddhism, Islam, Christianity, and New Age, so my readers can see the major distinctions with each of the religious faiths and realize there is no way these different religions and philosophies can be blended or harmonized. I devote a chapter to the historical, objective, and verifiable evidence that brings any reasonable person to the logical conclusion that the Bible is indeed holy and inspired by the one true God and is provided by him to provide his people a set of standards and values that are in our best interest as a people and a society. Cultures that have lived in reverence to the Bible 
and what it instructs are cultures of law and order and civil rest, which promotes the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This was something our nation's founding fathers clearly understood. We desperately need people to understand why the Bible is unique and worthy of our earnest study and how it is indeed more relevant today than at any other time in the past. The very fact we are at the place we are on God's timeline demands we understand the Bible to the very best of our ability. Only when we are united in the faith and values Christianity upholds will we be able to advance God's kingdom. I'm confident a proper understanding and reverence for the Bible is essential for us to grow in unity. Unity under the banner of truth is the only way we can overcome the radical efforts of the enemy to divide and destroy us. No one wants to live their life on the basis of lies, yet many, many people do, including Christians. For Christians to be ignorant or deceived about the Bible helps us understand why the Christian faith has not been the dominant influence against evil in recent decades. Now, let me make important distinctions about ignorance. First, there are two types of ignorance, genuine ignorance and willful ignorance. Genuine ignorance is when a person has truly had no opportunity to know a matter. They are innocent of the fact they are ignorant because they've never been exposed to the topic. Willful ignorance is when a person chooses to avoid learning the truth about a matter. Generally, this is because the individual doesn't want to be held accountable on a matter, so they avoid learning if what they believe is true or not. Regarding deception, consider this. What if the enemy of God has presented you enough lies to cause you to doubt the supremacy of the Bible? In this example, you would be deceived and unaware of your condition. You would think you're basing your life on truth, and you would go about your daily life satisfied that you are living on the basis of truth. This would mean the enemy has successfully influenced you and your beliefs would be to disavow the claims of the Bible. The only way you could become aware of your condition, of the deception, is for your beliefs to be challenged. And I think this is precisely what God has been doing in the lives of many of his people in this particular year. With all we've suffered in this year of 2020 and now the Hebrew year 5781, With people claiming what is right is wrong and what is wrong is right, the question for all of us should be, am I living my life on the basis of truth? When I travel and speak, I ask my audience this question, who in this room wants to live your life on the basis of a lie? (laughs) No one ever raises their hand to that question, which is highly revealing. The very fact no one ever raises their hand reveals, first, we universally prefer truth over deception clearly believing truth is good and deception is bad. Number two, our ability to recognize what is good from what is bad means we universally have an innate moral compass guiding us to know what is right from wrong. And number three, the fact we innately understand moral laws supports the existence of a moral lawgiver, namely God. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis argued, quote, Conscience reveals to us a moral law whose source cannot be found in the natural world, thus pointing to a supernatural lawgiver. I'll get back to the point C.S. Lewis made in just a moment. In search of truth, we must first conclude if truth is relative or absolute. Those who believe truth is relative claim what you believe is your truth and what I believe is my truth, and even if our beliefs are opposed, they are still our personal truths. 
This position allows the individual to determine for themselves what they think is right or wrong or truth or a lie. People who believe truth is relative do so in order to have accountability only to themselves. Why would people want to be accountable only to themselves? So they can live their life the way they please, even if it's contrary to what other people believe. It's important, as we seek to confidently base our life on truth, that we understand the divisive and destructive source behind the claim that truth is relative. The premise that truth is relative is subjective and based on a person's feelings and preferences. The premise that truth is absolute is objective and is based on cognitive thought and reality. In order for us to first be united in truth, we have to agree what truth is. As I explore in greater depth in my book, when we honestly consider truth, we will be forced to admit it is absolute and objective and always aligns with reality. People who are honest in their quest for truth will be logically led to acknowledge the existence of God as the creator of all that exists. He is the one who has determined what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong, what is moral and what is immoral. The reality that we universally have an innate moral compass with laws that cannot be found in this broken, sinful world, the only logical conclusion is a moral lawgiver exists to whom all people are accountable whether they want to be or not. As we consider the many perversions of morality that have been promoted as good and acceptable in our day, it's evident we who are committed Christians must unite and promote our values in order to help people who are lost to the truth and restore our society. This is what I'm asking you to join me doing, and this program is devoted to help you to that very end. Any one of God's people who truly are unaware of the truths of the Bible, when the Bible is prolifically available in our country, is actually practicing willful ignorance, which is a sin. Sin always separates us from God and his blessings, provisions, favor, grace, and a whole lot more. I seriously doubt if anyone in America can claim genuine ignorance about their awareness of the existence of the Bible. However, as studies reveal, many Christians in America do claim a lack of interest in the Bible. Clearly, these people do not believe it is the Word of God. They are deceived about the truth concerning the Bible. What about you? As I continue on this exceedingly important topic, be as honest as you can so you can move from being deceived to confidently basing your life on truth. For a child of God to live with known sin in their lives is a very dangerous matter. Once you are aware a matter is sinful and you do not repent, you set yourself up for the discipline of God. In fact, I believe much of what we've experienced this year has been the hand of God to accomplish two things. First, to expose corruption and lies many people have been cooperating with. And second, to discipline the church to take her rightful place in the world, which in its simplest form is to uphold the standard of truth and to present God's love. Many Christians are deceived and don't have a proper understanding of scriptures. What makes these Christians especially dangerous is they are unaware of their condition, and they therefore unwittingly, wrongly, influence others about the Christian faith. People who are deceived are utterly unaware of their condition and actually think they possess knowledge based on truth, and therefore, they unknowingly influence others on what they believe to be true. Deception is from the enemy of God. You may be thinking, can a Christian be deceived? Most definitely. Jesus warned his followers four times in the same sermon not to be deceived. He said, take heed that no man deceive you. 
For many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and shall deceive many. And many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. There shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Matthew 24, verse 4, 5, 11, and 24. Could you, could I, be influenced by false prophets today? Absolutely! How else can we explain the division among Christians on many of the issues the Bible is very clear about? How can we know if we are deceived or not? By intentionally examining what we believe in the light of the truth of God's Word. Since God's Word, the Bible, is the authority on truth, is it any wonder the enemy of God has worked so hard to prevent people from reading or studying the Bible? And for those who do study the Bible, the enemy works to cause us to focus on different doctrines to bring division in our midst. I'm graced to personally know Kathleen Cook. She and her husband, Phil, own Cook Media Group. Kathleen is a Christian speaker, author, and media influencer. She became passionate about writing her book, The Power of Four, because of findings of an eight-year study costing millions of dollars conducted by the Center for Bible Engagement. Researchers for the Center for Bible Engagement sought to find the answer to the question, quote, why do so many people own Bibles but so few read them, end quote. They surveyed over 400,000 people around the world about their spiritual lives. I will have the link to the website on the show notes. But I want to share a very small portion of what their study revealed. They studied people in Charlotte, North Carolina as a sample group. Why did they concentrate research there? Because Barna Research Group cites Charlotte as one of the nation's most Bible-minded cities. Bible-minded individuals are defined as those who report reading the Bible in the past week and who strongly assert the Bible is accurate in the principles that it teaches. Before COVID-19, the study revealed that within this highly Bible-minded community, 50% of Christians surveyed say they are familiar with the Bible and believe it contains truth, yet they don't engage with the Bible most days of the week. With these type statistics in a highly Bible-minded community, what do you think the realities are in cities that are not so Bible-minded? The reasons those surveyed gave for not reading or studying the Bible include being too busy, distracted, no longer believe the Bible is relevant, or they don't know where to start. Where are you in these findings? Have these past months of COVID-19, lockdowns, violence, media lies and corruption, and serious division among people in our nation increased your interest in finding truth? No one wants to live their life on the basis of a lie. But unless we examine what we believe and why, we can easily be deceived. For many Americans, the media has a greater impact on what they believe to be true than does the Bible. And sadly, a recent report revealed increasing numbers of Americans expressing concern about bias in the news is preventing them from actually learning truth. The reason Kathleen Cook's book is titled The Power of Four is because research reveals individuals who engage with the Bible through study, reading, or biblically-based sermons and media four times or more a week actually live notably improved qualities of life. People who are engaged with the Bible four or more times a week were found to experience decrease in problem drinking by 62%, decrease in the use of pornography by 59%, decrease in engaging in sex outside of marriage by 
decrease in gambling by 45%, decrease in anger by 31%, decrease in gossiping and lying by 28%, decrease in family neglect by 26%, decrease in overeating by 20%. With all the self-help books available, it seems the Bible can be credited with the best success record for improving quality of life. The personal and cultural benefits that come from simply being engaged with the Bible are impressive and have every reason to influence society. But what do we say to those who still don't believe the Bible is a unique document and more than worthy of our study? There are many reasons I can give to evoke a reverence for the Bible and a desire to study it. I explain these in greater detail in my workbook, His Word Afresh, My Life Anew. There is manuscript evidence. There's archaeology. There's the probability of statistics and prophecy. These are just three overwhelmingly convincing evidences in support of the Bible being uniquely supreme to all other documents of religious authority. Let me briefly go through these three. The manuscript evidence in support of the Bible, which includes both Old and New Testaments, is unique in comparison to the documents of religious authority for all other religions. The Bible's oldest known manuscripts are older by at least 1,000 years in comparison to the available texts of all other religious sacred writings, except, of course, Judaism. The Quran, the Tripitaka, the Upanishads, all the documents of religious authority for other religions do not have the power of manuscript evidence in support of them as the Bible does. Therefore, Christians claim it to be an easy application of faith to believe the Bible has remained unchanged since it was originally penned. The critical conclusion of Christians is that the Bible is, in fact, divinely inspired. Archaeology Magnificent archaeological finds provide factual evidence of the historical reliability of the Bible most dramatically confirmed as recent as the 20th century. These findings have consistently supported the historicity of the Bible. In fact, it's safe to say that with every turn of the archaeologist's spade, the historicity and accuracy of the Bible is further confirmed. It would be an overstatement at this point to claim that archaeology has proven everything the Bible says is true, but it is accurate to say, with factual discoveries made through archaeology, the Bible has not been proven to be false or with error. Another proof is the probability of statistics. Overwhelming evidence concerning the fulfillment of prophecies in the Bible are undeniable. Conservative experts explain if only 48 of the prophecies predicting the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus were fulfilled, and by the way, scholars estimate Jesus fulfilled over 300. But if it was only 48, the chance would be 1 in 10 with 157, which is the number 1 with 157 zeros following. Simply considering the statistical probability for only 48 fulfilled prophecies is not something I can fully get my mind around, let alone 300. Objective, verifiable evidence in support of the Bible being supreme over all other documents of religious faith not only uniquely substantiates the Bible, but the faith it represents. And one last compelling argument in support of the Bible, being the inspired Word of God, is this. The 66 books for both the Old and New Testament were penned by 40 different authors over a span of approximately 1,500 years in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek covering hundreds of subjects. Yet amazingly, with such a vast compilation and without any personal collaboration, there is no conflict of information. 
From the Old Testament through to the end of the New Testament, there's only one constant theme, God's redemption of mankind. From this point alone, there is no way the Bible could be anything less than the inspired Word of God. I hope to have presented you sufficient information to cause you to take a new look at the Bible so we can have more of us united in our influence of truth and help our divided culture by promoting the values the Bible presents, making a difference in our culture for Christ. What have we seen in our culture since the removal of the Bible and prayers in public schools? Let me share what William Janus offers. William Janus is a professor at California State College in Long Beach and a recognized education expert. In a presentation he gave in 2014, he revealed there is a correlation between the decline of U.S. public schools and the U.S. Supreme Court's 1962 and 1963 decision that school-sponsored Bible reading was unconstitutional. He said removal of the Bible and prayer from public schools may be the most spiritually significant event in our nation's history over the course of the then last 55 years. Since 1963, Janus said there have been five developments in the nation's public schools. Academic achievement has plummeted, including SAT scores. Increased rate of out-of-wedlock births. Increase in illegal drug use increase in juvenile crimes, and lastly, deterioration of school behavior. What if many of us Christians began promoting our Christian values by advocating for the restoration of Bibles and prayer in public school? And in the meantime, we actually offered to lead prayer and Bible study for students in whatever manner is possible in our respective school districts. What are some of the issues we face that divide us as Christians? Abortion, gender issues, religious freedom, freedom of speech, denominational differences. What are some of the cultural issues that divide us as a nation? Racism, border security, capitalism versus socialism, big government versus small government, public education. These are just my considerations. What are yours? What areas within Christianity or our culture are you passionate about? What can you do to bring about restoration of our Christian values and partner with God to heal our land? Again, it's necessary that I pre-record my podcast so I don't know the outcome of the most contentious presidential election at this time of recording. But I do know God, and I trust many men and women of faith who have gone before me. And according to Garris Elkins, author and prophet, we must be keenly aware of the times we live in and respond properly. Elkins wrote, quote, We have entered what missiologist Ralph Winter described as a supercentury of Christianity. A supercentury is a span of time when we reevaluate, redefine, and reset our faith. Supercenturies have occurred every four to five hundred years since the inception of the church some two thousand years ago. The last supercentury, reset, took place in the Reformation of 1517 when Martin Luther nailed his 95 Thesis to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. We have just entered a new supercentury. The supercentury concept coincides with what futurist David Houle said when he described the years between 2017 and 2037 as the shift age. He said that in this 20-year period, more change will have taken place than in any 50-year period in human history. Elkins continues, what are the implications of a supercentury, and what does the rapid succession of change taking place in this shift age mean for you and me? 
As unfolding events become increasingly more abundant in both nature and speed, we must make adjustments along the way so we do not remain stuck in the past, but rather become free to engage in an emerging future. Unless we make these adjustments, the rate of change can become so rapid and all-consuming we might become confused, disoriented, and derailed from our focus on God's mission. There are three things that will keep our faith mobile and healthy in a time of rapid cultural change and transition. Number one, we must reduce our faith to the essentials. Like an early church father once said, in the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, love. The essentials are the very bottom line issues of our faith, like the nature of God and the plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. Non-essentials are our personal preferences. They can change over time and are subject to our personal interpretation. And finally, whether we are dealing with an essential or non-essential of our faith, all we do must be done in love. A little aside here, last week I talked about the essentials and the cardinals of our faith and how our doctrines cause division. If you want to get a copy of that PDF, just look at the show notes. Number two, in keeping with Elgin's report, we must guard the condition of our hearts. Perhaps one of the most significant things to come out of this pandemic and stressful election cycle is the realization that a wide variety of interpretations exist within the church of what is actually taking place in the spiritual realm. This is not the first time in history that the church has gone through a season of winnowing within its ranks. Until the dust settles and we are able to discern what God has been doing in this season, we need to continually guard our hearts and remain unoffendable. Through prayer and the exercise of our faith, we can actually influence the world affairs. If our hearts remain tender and pliable to the will of God, we will experience safe passage through these turbulent times. And number three, we must interpret what is taking place from heaven's perspective. Elkins expands, When I first heard the announcement that both President Trump and the First Lady had tested positive for COVID-19, who have now since recovered, I was reminded once again how fast events can change on the world stage. As I watched world events begin to rapidly accelerate, I was so lovingly corrected as to what my role and the role of the church should be in these unusual times. God can always intervene in the affairs of earth, no matter how dark the current reality or its possible outcome might appear. Heaven's insight must always be our filter for interpreting the events taking place, or we will see with only limited sight, a sight that will always end up in despair. These three things, says Elkins, reducing our faith to the essentials, guarding the condition of our hearts, and interpreting our reality through the lens of heaven will keep us mobile and able to move with God at the speed of our faith. We will then be able to speak the truth in love to individuals and institutions of society that desperately need a word of hope and direction. End quote. Being united in our Christian values and appealing to our neighbors, helping them discover the truth everyone wants to live by, is exactly the kingdom work we need to be doing. If there was ever a time for Christians to be doers of the word and not merely hearers of the word, now is the time. We've been permitted by God to be alive at this point in God's history for the world. We have been engaged in a battle of good versus evil such as we've never seen in our lifetime. As I've been saying, we must become kingdom warriors. Instead of asking, where is God in all of this? Let us say to God, here I am, Lord, send me. 
And again, I will have a copy of the Five Essentials of the Christian Faith and the Two Cardinals available in the show notes. Next week, I'll start part one of my series exploring the evidence in support of our Christian faith, available from both history and archaeology. Between now and then, please reach out to me. I really do want to hear from you. Let me know if this program is a blessing or if there's a particular topic you'd like me to cover. Feel free to contact me knowing I'm asking you to. My contact details are in the show notes. This program, Faith to Live By, is a division of Pamela Christian Ministries, LLC, a ministry that offers many different goods and services. Again, I invite you to visit my main website, PamelaChristianMinistries.com. I ask you to support my ministry work by availing of the sponsors listed with the show notes or purchasing any of the books highlighted. Don't forget to check into Kathleen Cook's excellent devotional, The Power of Four. I'll have a link for you in the show notes as well. I'll also provide a link to the special offer of my book, Examine Your Faith, Finding Truth in a World of Lies. By the way, I list all of my show notes and bonus items on my website, faithtoliveby.com. On that landing page, there's a link and more information about my sponsors and my partners. And again, instead of asking you to support my ministry by giving direct, I simply ask you to avail of the goods and services from my sponsors and partners. Now, let me ask you, do you have a Bible that you absolutely love? If not, and even if you do, you should take a look at this new concept called the Abide Bible. This Bible is designed to teach scripture engagement habits that will help you better understand the power and spiritual nourishment that comes from fully abiding in Christ. Whether you're a brand new Christian or a believer looking for new ways to refresh your time with God, you'll want to check this new Bible out. As a matter of fact, on December 23rd, five lucky winners will be given a copy of this new Bible from Thomas Nelson as the grand prize winners of my Christmas giveaways. I will also award two winners a signed copy of my newly revised book, Examine Your Faith, Finding Truth in a World of Lies. Want to be among those eligible to win a free Christmas gift? Email me at faithtoliveby at Pamela Christian Ministries with the word Christmas in the subject line and your ground mail address provided in the body of the email. Only those who correctly email me will be eligible to win from my Christmas drawing. Want a second chance to be a winner? Those of you who subscribe to my bi-monthly e-newsletter who join between November 1st and December 16th will be eligible for a second chance to win one of the gifts in my Christmas giveaway. Contest entries are accepted only through December 16th, with the last gift awarded on December 23rd. Don't delay. Get your name in the drawing today. This is going to be fun. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps the show reach more people, and it also helps spread the gospel and helps people learn how to best apply their Christian faith. Be sure to follow me on Facebook at Faith to Live By TV, on Twitter at PL Christian, and on LinkedIn at Pamela Christian. And lastly, visit my page for this show, faithtoliveby.com, to enjoy all the podcasts we've produced so far. I hope you'll join me next week and tell your friends and family to listen here on Faith to Live By, where we learn how to gain spiritual victory over life's issues. Until next week, I'm Pam Christian, asking you to remember... Christ died for us. The least we can do is live for Him.